Welcome, dear listener. It is the final edition of Weekend at Crombies 2, The Legend of Crombies Gold. And we are wrapping up our David Fincher season of films with his latest film, Mank. dear listener i'm dr james evans if only i had more time i would have written a shorter letter and i am hugh don't that chap your ass <laughs> uh yes and uh, we we're today tonight we're going to be reviewing the final film of the weekend at crombies 2 the legend of crombies gold specials uh, about yeah. david fincher mank and it's a four it's, decade it's, retrospective of david fincher films what a well, treat it's been what a treat it's been and uh, you know whilst i appreciate that some listeners may have felt like listening to this podcast had taken four decades <laughs> um no david fincher four decades of films by david fincher and here we are with mank and it's not it's not a film about the hacienda nightclub <laughs> <laughs> genuinely thought because I, I always go into these films cold because this was a new film you know relatively new from david fincher yeah. i hadn't even heard of it um or seen it uh, i i and to be honest, i clear i thought it was about um what was that uh Steve Coogan thing about the, the nightclub promoter. Yeah, 24 Tony. hours party people. I, I swear to God, I thought it was about Manchester. I thought well, that's it. That's what the Hacienda is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I thought David Fincher was doing about you. Know, it's some kind of Mancunian based. It's not. <laughs> so no, no, it really isn't. It's, <laughs> a, it's a film about the... The golden uh, age of Hollywood. The, well, it's a film about the growing pains of the Neville brothers, Gary and Phil, and his father, Neville Neville. <laughs> no, it's not. It's about the golden... Let's just, let's just reflect on that. Neville neville well you get magnus magnuson well, still not yeah but that's not magnus magnus is it or magnuson magnuson <laughs> neville nevelson neville nevelson isn't much better it isn't no this is about the golden age of hollywood isn't it and very specifically yes. the the, the writing of the, citizen kane the writing of citizen kane the law and the legend around citizen kane yeah um yeah so david fincher's fourth film in our review um, so as we usually do, we, we start with a, a brief synopsis. I appreciate this is a newer film, so it's maybe not quite as well known as some of the other films that we've reviewed yeah. on, on on this particular podcast. But um, well, I'll, say, you know. I'll say this going in, and again, forty minutes later, I maybe proved a liar. <laughs> I think this could be synopsized quite quickly. Uh, yeah, I do as well. But I will let you do that here because this is where <laughs> your strengths lie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's kick right into it then. So it's um, it's I think it's like nineteen forty, um, and uh, and a uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz, aka Mank, is uh, is sort of laid up with a broken leg and being led to this isolated uh, house in the in the Dust Bowl, where he has uh, been briefed by none other than Orson Welles to write a screenplay. Orson Welles has been the, the radio wunderkind and he's been come over to make movies and RKO has basically said, cut Blanche, um, no, no. Do editing. what you like. Do what you like. And Orson Welles said, right, um, Mankiewicz is going to write me this this um, this script. And and so he does. He sets to it um, and he's been he's given a, a secretary, uh, Rita Alexander, played by Lily Collins and a, and a nurse. Um, I've played by was at the, in the best bit of a German nurse. No nonsense here, man. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, but by um, what I can't remember what the the, the actress's name is. is Monica Gosman. That's, that's it. That's it. No, yeah. it's not Felberg, is it? Um, no. I, 
but anyway, so the, the German nurse. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Monica. Yeah. Oh, Fräulein Frieda. There Fräulein Frieda, that's Fräulein it, obviously. Frieda, yeah, of course, that's good. Anyway, so uh, Mankiewicz gets to writing, um, and uh, as he does, we flash back to his memories, at least a decade back, um, of his time as kind of a jobbing writer in, again, the golden age of Hollywood, working for the big studios, working for, I think it was Paramount, and then it was MGM. Um, there's quite a lot of flashbacks and flash forwards at this point in the film, isn't there? Yes. So they, um, to cut the, the, the simple story is Mankiewicz is, is laid up and um, as he recuperates, he writes Citizen Kane. He, mm. he struggles at first. Um, he managed to he's, he's been kept off booze and, uh, and distractions. Unsuccessfully. Um, <laughs> unsuccessfully, yes. Well, well um, Frau Frieda Frieda is, is uh, slipping him um, the booze that was provided. Basically, a big crate of booze has been placed out of reach of him. The, the idea that he will learn to walk again with his broken leg in yes. order to get a drink. Um, but Frieda has been slipping in the gym. But unknown to him, they've also drugged the alcohol so he can't overdrink himself. So he, yeah. uh, he says he has one drink and he gets hit on the head like a croquet mallet. Um, but in the end, he managed to slip in some big bottles of whiskey uh, so he can have a proper drink, which outrages uh, his young secretary, Rita Alexander. Um, but it proves actually that's just what he needs to, to fuel his creative juices. And he turns out an enormous draft of 300 pages. Yeah. Um, uh, of there was a there was a there was up to that first hour there was that big will they won't they like the editor who's working with him is like you'll never yeah. finish it and Lily um, Collins we told him was saying you'll never finish it and Mank is and then he just does he just does <laughs> that's the thing it's like well done it now <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was, uh, it was, um, yes yeah, it's like one of those uh, yeah, quick uh, kind of clock zoom around like finished all big stack yeah, exactly, thirteen yeah. days no yeah. problem yeah um, so having now done that uh, there's the issue of well you know, Citizen Kane for. I guess anyone who isn't uh, steeped in the history of, of Hollywood was not just one of the greatest movies um, of that era or any era. It was pretty much a, a personal attack or a, a, an unflattering biopic of mm. the publisher William Randolph Hearst and those in his life, which included um, Marion Davis, uh, the yeah, actress he was having an affair with, um, that he yeah. set up in his big palace of Xanadu. The idea she was a talentless actress that, oh, in, in Citizen Kane, a talentless actress, actress is given patronage and everything by Kane. And in this, again, Marion Davis, um, who actually had a successful career as an actress, but was uh, everyone saying like, oh, you you've clearly put her as you know the dummy actress yeah. that next to this Kane character. So yeah, I mean, Marion Davis was quite quite famous in kind of silent films. Perhaps yeah. didn't didn't make the transition into the talkies particularly well, but that's where William Randall Hearst came in, played by Charles Dance. Marion yes. Davis played by Amanda Seyfried, and actually, yeah, Marion Davis's character is quite sympathetic. I think, yeah. um, we'll, we'll get al to, although yeah. although yeah yeah, sorry. Um, Although what? <laughs> well, I was going to say, although um, is is perhaps more more loyal to William Randall Hearst than perhaps you might think she might be at the start of the film. Yeah, yeah, rather than just being uh, the, the gold digger. But yeah. um, but we don't see them yet. So the, as, as again, as this script is being written, um, there's the big fuss about, well, you realise this could be a character assassination. Um, <clears throat> Mankiewicz is at first warned and then bribed and all sorts of friends and his brother, <coughs> excuse me, comes up to him. So as the as the play is, is complete now, the the the, um, the buzz gets around about who this is written about, and then first he's tried to be bribed by his brother, then he's sort of been warned by his friends, and then even visited by Marion Davis herself um, to come persuade him. And the play goes ahead. Um, and everyone's kind of like saying, you know, because Mankiewicz, as we get flashbacks, knew. Um, Randolph Hearst personally and knew Marion Davis personally. It's like, why were you doing this? Mm. Uh, and kind of he 
with this now is told in the flashback. So that's pretty much the, the story that's happening now is he yeah. writes the play, he delivers it. There's a very final scene where he has a big row with Orson Welles over writing credit, which kind of comes out of nowhere, but is, is I guess, true to, to life because he did eventually get credit for writing the play. Yeah, so he didn't, he didn't want credit on the film. He didn't want credit on the screenway to begin with. Yeah. Was, but yeah. As, as the film progresses and his story is told in flashback, he, I think, also comes to the realisation, probably at the same time as we do, that he wants, he almost wants William Randlehurst to know. Yeah, he, he wants his fingerprints on this. Yeah, he does. Uh, because the initial thing was, again, I think Orson Welles was in no illusions who it was about. No one was in any illusions who it was yeah. about. Orson Welles didn't care. He was the young bad boy creative. He was 24 mm. at the time. Um, but he was saying but Mankiewicz was kind of shielded by being anonymous. And he thought, no, I'm going for it. Yeah. He also thought I, he, he declared it was the best work he'd ever done, which I yeah. guess also <laughs> proved yeah. true. Which is yes, probably right. Um, but, but but Wells, I mean, he, he explodes with rage, which I think is slightly over the top. <laughs> because, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know it's contractual, but at the same time, he wants a credit. He can have a credit, surely. Yeah, he did write the bleeding. He did write it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote it, you know. I mean, there's a bit of controversy around this, which is what I think the film kind of touches upon, perhaps, which is who actually did write Citizen Kane. Was it Mankiewicz or was it Wells? Because they have joint credit, but... Um, hmm. Well, you'd have to assume, again, if Mankiewicz wrote the 300-page draft and then Wells... Yeah edited it down edited, that sounds yeah. like it's a co-writing yeah. effort there um but yeah. so that's that's the first story but as this story progresses which again is a very simple story about how a play is written um we get flashbacks into um the much more complicated backstory of Mankiewicz when he was in Hollywood um again working for all these theatres so he's, he's one of many writers and there was at one point when he just introduced people there's a whole roll call of there's this guy this guy this guy this guy mm. I'm sure if you were kind of a um a Hollywood geek of those eras you'd be going oh yes yeah. I know that guy yeah. he wrote that movie etc um, and so, yeah, um, what happened with it? So first he, he goes around the, the studios, but he mostly works for MGM because uh, we see Louis B. Mayer um, as kind of the, 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 he personifies the studio boss in many ways. You know, he's, um, he's unscrupulous. He's, he's uh, um, bad, with, not bad with money. He's, uh, he's very tight-fisted with money. He tells everyone to take a pay cat. Um, yeah, he cries brutal. it all the time as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it sounds brutal. He tells the entire staff, yeah. like a 50% pay cat for eight weeks. And yeah. uh, uh, it is so, again, the way he delivers it, he's like, you know, our lovely, our beloved family is in trouble, <laughs> but we'll pull through. I won't break this family by something as trivial as money. And it's like, well, you're their employer. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. don't just say, how can we be so tawdry to talk money? We're family. But um, everyone, everyone buys into it, didn't they? Well, again, the, the implication is he planted a couple of act, you know, the, the uh, yeah. actors in the audience to say, I'll take the pay cut. Mm. And the, the grips and the electricians are in the corner going, oh, God, we've been screwed, haven't we? Um, <laughs> because as soon as um, yeah, uh, Mayer walks off, like Mankiewicz is there shaking his head. Um, so he never thinks much of Mayer. But in the process of, of kind of going around the Hollywood world, he meets Marion Davis and um, and uh, uh, Randall William Madler first um, at the same time, who kind of just makes a good impression because he's a he's something of a wit. He he has a very dry wit that he, um, he is, and yeah. is basically phased by no one and impressed by no one. He kind of just drifts through the entire world making smug comments. Yeah, and the the impression is that wherever he goes, he ruffles feathers. But he, particularly for William Randall Hurst, certainly early in the film, he is tolerated because he's he's almost the court jester isn't he yeah, he, I mean, he calls him a court jester doesn't he yeah, but he's, he's the person that ruffles he, his purpose is to ruffle feathers even if yes. he doesn't realize that's his purpose he's the one there to speak the truth in yeah. an insulting way but yeah not to be taken seriously because he has no power that's yeah, kind exactly. of the court jester's yeah. role 
um, <clears throat> which is indeed what he does. There's like a big dinner scene where or a big evening scene when everyone's just chatting around yeah. um, about, oh, this this Hitler guy seems like a creep. <laughs> uh, very on the nose comments about yeah. the political time, and then he's there, you know, shooting off comments. The the, the big thing is there's a there's a character um, or he's a, a politician that none of the, uh, the many men like um, Upton Sinclair. Sinclair. Upton Upton Sinclair. Sinclair, you know, famous author as well, um, yeah. Pulitzer Prize winning author, but uh, it was obviously a socialist in the early 30s and, and ran for the California governorship, I think. Yeah, and so there's a great big election runs where where you know uh, Louis B. Mayer is trying to and, and Hearst is trying to you know run against him and get their Republican guy in there, um, and Mank almost accidentally gives one of the studio men Irving Thalberg the mm. idea to run propaganda movies. He basically um, the, uh, Irving is calling him and saying, "Why haven't you contributed to the uh, the campaign fund for our Republicans? It's looking bad." And Mank goes, "You don't need my money. You've mm. got a studio. You can make it believe yeah. anything you want." Yeah, you, you can make does. people be, you can make people believe that a uh, uh, thirty or was it sixty foot King, King, King Kong? Um, King Kong is ten stories yeah. tall. And, yeah. um, was it? Uh, I can't remember. Mary. Was Mary, it Mary? Fair, Pickford is a virgin yeah. at 40. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so again, they think immediately that right. So all of a sudden we get, uh, I guess what we'd call nowadays fake news, where there's a lot of yeah. actors are paid saying, I'm a struggling person and I couldn't have this uh, this guy in there. Um, so they, they either have, interesting, they either have, Interestingly, yeah. in the time as well, they, the, the two people that they have in that propaganda film who are pro-Sinclair, yeah. one is black yeah. and the other is very obviously poor. And um, Russian, that's a good point. Russia, why not here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, you know, so obviously that's intended to um, obviously go against Sinclair as well for the times. Yeah, it was actually interesting because, yeah, um, if there's some of some of the uh, the things were portrayed quite broadly, as in, like saying, uh, we we must have socialism here in Britain, Russia. But actually, yeah, the, the black character was saying, "I'm uh, Sinclair." Was actually delivered quite neutrally, like, oh, yeah, it was. "Sinclair, I like him." And I thought that's clearly enough to drive the yeah. conservative yeah, 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 voters yeah. towards yeah. the Republican guy. Um, so th these come out, um, and in fact, um, a friend of Max, who was a, a kind of a a, a second unit director shot the things because he wanted a shot of directing then felt utterly rattled with guilt um that he'd, he'd done it in the first place and, and kills himself um which mank is aware of because mank thought he'd disarmed him he'd taken away his bullets mm. um left him with his gun not realizing he had a lot more bullets left and, and took his own life um and indeed at the dinner when sinclair is, is defeated mankowitz and his wife go there initially to make good and kind of you know make peace and they do they show they their charm, face they, they, do, charm, yeah. they, they charm everybody and this kind of stuff and mank basically gets so disgusted at louis Bumet's gloating that they're going to win he not only insults everybody he makes a ridiculous bet and um loses a fortune um betting against the result and all this kind of stuff so um the the uh yeah it's it's one of the things again it's, it's why he really doesn't like louis Bumet's basically and he also learns that hearst was bankrolling the um the the, the films which he had tried to get to stop he tried to get marion davis to um to stop the, the yeah. films being made because he knew that Hearst was behind the, the bank run of it. So that's... I mean, Louis B. Mayer doesn't come out of this <laughs> very well. It has the whole film. He's a scheming, yeah. slimy character. Quite a toadying character. He's, he's, yeah. Because they even make the comment that Louis B. Mayer doesn't own MGM. It's all the money men back east. So he's he really is yeah. just the, the figurehead. The figurehead, puffs, yeah. He puffs himself up there as, as the great man. and mm. um, And again, so that uh, pretty much goes on. I guess with the, the final reel in his relationship is... Um, Actually, we haven't mentioned yet his wife Sarah. We haven't. Sarah Mankiewicz, yeah. played by Tuppence Middleton. Um, yeah. Which we're supposed to come into the analysis of it, but yeah, is it is an interesting cast given she is probably half Gary Oldman's age. I would suggest, yeah. She and look, and I mean looks here as well. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, again, <laughs> looks could quite easily have played um, Rita Alexander, the young English uh, yeah. secretary, and almost interchangeable. Um, where in fact, well, again, 
Yeah, well, I was going to say there's there's a point in the film where um, Mankiewicz, you know, he 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 reveals his age. I'm 43. Oh God, I, I, I thought, that was a hard watch. It's like Mankiewicz, you're washed up. You got nothing. Your health's failing. Your career's gone. You're 43. <laughs> 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 I, yeah, I did think to myself, well, I'm 43. I've not written Citizen Kane yet. <laughs> what does that make me? But yeah. I then also thought to myself, Gary Oldman's not 43, is he? This is about Gary, 60. He's in his 60s. And I suppose you I mean Mankiewicz clearly gave his liver a hard time in his life. He did. Um, and he was a hard, and, he was hard living, I suppose. Yeah. And so you and this, this was the, the 30s, 40s. So you'd imagine you could look as old as possibly. Gary Oldman at the age of 43. Possibly. But, but then I would presume Sarah Mankiewicz would look older than like 20, <laughs> which she does. I think Tempest Middleton, I mean, I'm guessing she's 30. She's also quite yeah. a young looking 30. Yeah, anyway, she is, yeah. was yeah. not made to look, but yeah, a jot older than she was. So that was an odd casting. Um, it was. But, I, mean, she's, I mean, she's fine in the role. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, a, she's, it's, it's a good role. And um, dis, I mean, I suppose despite that, you do you do feel the, the love between them, I guess. Um, yeah, and, and the frustration. Of and the frustration there. as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, so that, but the final reel, which is again portrayed as a showdown, is when Mankiewicz um, mm. just turns up utterly wasted at a, a posh dinner that um, that William Mandelhurst is holding, um, and again after a few kind of mumbles, then just commands the entire room where he basically recounts the story of Citizen Kane um, in front of William Mandelhurst, yeah. uh, and again the, the guests are basically diving for the exits as he goes off on one yeah <laughs> and it's he, he vom is sick isn't he yeah, sick on the floor the he throws up on the floor which to which there is only louis b mayer and and winnie randolph has left to which mayer just yells at him um and it was an interesting moment when he yelled at him because there is a few moments of absolute profanity in the film mostly it's kind of like you know 30s yeah like you're dumb yeah. bum this kind of stuff. yeah um i was listening after there's a like the f-bomb is dropped maybe once or twice but this once is where it's it really yeah. and it's almost like it's broken character because like they're no longer in the the world of the the roaring 30s anymore yeah. and it just calls him you know, an ungrateful guy and and, and um yes. yeah. he is, saying you know you know where half your salary comes from it comes from william randolph Hearst. do you know why he does that because he likes you he likes the way you talk not what you write not the way you write yeah yeah and the way um, you talk and so he storms off um, <laughs> as, as a slimy, unpleasant character. It was a hell of a delivery. Um, and then he pops yeah, off his he, colonial he, kick yeah. and ruins because he's at this fancy dress party. So he's dressed up like Clive India or whatever. He has two he has two barnstorming scenes, actually. Um, Arliss Howard, who plays Louis B. Mayer. There's one early on where um, Herman and Joseph Mankiewicz, the, his, his brother, yeah. uh, his brother's going for a job at MGM. And, Man and and uh, Mayer, uh, in a kind of walk and talk scene, yeah. describes it describes MGM and describes the family. The, you know, MGM doesn't stand doesn't stand for Metwin. What is it? Metwin Golden Mayer. It's, yeah, it stands for. I can't remember what the German is. It's but, um, definitely Yiddish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's Yiddish. Isn't it? yeah, sorry. It's, it's 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 a Yiddish for a Meyer's big family. And, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you yeah, got a problem? You, you come to Papa. Yeah, don't you ever forget it. Uh, you know, films films are not about the money; it's about the memories. And the person that makes the film owns those memories and never yeah, forget that, that. That was interesting. People are yeah. paying for a memory, which is yeah. very true. And, yeah, uh, it's true. Yeah, yeah, very true. So he's an unlike he's an unlikable character, but he does have two absolutely stonking um, kind of one monologue and and one kind of explosive 
scene of anger, which is quite yeah. good. And again, he has that that kind of wonderful bathos when he's appealing to for the paycheck. I mean, it's it's a it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a very memorable role. He does well it in is. it. He um, does. It's not a major role, but it's a very it sticks in the mind, doesn't it? Yeah, when he said you have yeah, people like you know Charles Dance who you know, just oozes yeah. charisma as host. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, 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 uh, he does well to stick up there. So um, and actually yeah. So then after there's no one left but Hurst and Mank, um, Hurst then you know just takes him in his arm and slowly guides him out of his palace whilst recounting to him the tale of the organ grinder's monkey. The uh, yeah. the idea being that the monkey thinks he's the most powerful person because he wears the suit and, and dances. And, and in fact, <laughs> there's no illusions that who, who he's placed Mankiewicz as. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's I mean that's that's quite fun as well. Um, it's very and obviously, like, yeah, I was, I was the saying, story of the organ yeah. grinders monkey. <laughs> he does it in a very Charles Dance way, but it's really well done. It's yeah. you know, it's it's oozes quality. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I do wonder good. about that because I've again I've no idea about the actual character. Because, no, I don't you know, Because when he ran up first, you know, um, I guess his most famous portrayal in movies was um, in Newsies. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly Citizen Kane is a second, but I was very disappointed that we didn't get any burst into song about you. Know, <laughs> Waste of course ain't going to push us around no more, you dumb mugs. I'm very relieved. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so again, he's been portrayed in this by Charles Dance, and he was portrayed obviously by Orson Welles um, yeah. in a roundabout way. It's like, did he have command that much charisma? Because these are some very charismatic performances. Yeah, definitely. definitely yeah. Um, oh, again, was it the, the illusion he was more like um, a like Howard Hughes character, you know, a very peculiar character who just had the reputation of being someone great, but um well as we know howard hughes though um obviously funded the rocketeer no he was against the rock what was it i can't remember now what was the rocket because he was in the rocketeer when he howard hughes he both built the rocketeer and uh and refused to uh to develop it further i think yeah, yeah. Do you know what yeah. i thought you can say howard hughes saved his own poo in tupperware boxes <laughs> <laughs> he probably did right? no, i think that's one of the yeah the that's what he did he was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean if that's not odd i don't know what is <laughs> i don't it what? is odd, but I, I commend the, the diligence to filing. And, and <laughs> but how would you file it? Well, and a P. That's a big P cabinet, isn't it? I mean, you don't... I suppose you could file it under S as well, couldn't you? Or C. I, I, <laughs> I, I fear we've gone down a dark turn here. <laughs> It's like the, the administrator of the Howard Hughes estate um, really, really, he dreads the days when he's got to do an inventory of the P filing cabinet. Like Howard Hughes has passed away. You're the you're the executive of the estate. Here are some large rubber gloves. <laughs> right. Which which filing cabinets am I doing? Oh, God. C, P and S. No. <laughs> I'd, 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 I'd call in sick that day. <laughs> Uh, notwithstanding, where on earth were we? Um, yeah, so that was um, so that was kind of the end of it. And I guess it's almost implied that yeah, that that final humiliation yeah, is what drove Mank away away from the relationship of, of Hurst. Yeah, and um, and to, to write this kind of assassination. Piece. And and also as the as the two stories, the story of him writing Citizen Kane and the story of how Citizen Kane became, as they dive as they um, come together at the end, as they converge. He then realizes that he wants his name on the script. Yes, he wants credit. Yeah, and in fact, the but the interesting thing is the argument with Orson Welles is interspersed with this argument with her. So he's, he's basically fighting with both his patrons in past yeah. and present yeah. at the same time. Um, well, I've got to say, Orson Welles is played by Tom Burke, who's another yeah. British actor, actually. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I thought his Orson Welles voice was brilliant. 
well apparently he was he was not trained um the the, the chap who did the Orson Welles voice, I think, in Ed Wood. Um, oh, right. Uh, oh, that's, oh, yeah, because it was Vincent D'Onofrio, isn't it? Was it, it? Yeah, it's Vincent D'Onofrio plays Ed Wood. Uh, plays yeah. Ed Wood, plays yeah. Orson Welles in Ed Wood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know whether it's his voice, though. I don't think it's his voice because they got the actor who did the voice and they basically said to Tom Burke, listen to this, this guy does a good Orson yeah. Welles. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tom Burke is a very, he's got a great screen presence. He's a good oh, he does. Presence. He's got a really idiosyncratic face as well. I mean, I mean that in the best possible way as well. It's really memorable. But yeah. I mean, I thought he was... You close your eyes. That was Orson Welles. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was that would be very good. Um, and in fact, yeah, there's this because I remember the, the very early on after Mank has had his accident, he's you know he's lying in bed and this like this shadow looms over him saying, Mank, I'm Orson Welles. It's like <laughs> this figure has emerged from yeah. nowhere to give yeah. him this mission. It's very strange. And it it, is again, strange. The, the, the movie itself veers between that you know, highly stylized to highly real to yeah, yeah. because again we, we um I mean, well, let's wrap up that's it that's the end we we close with the um the oscars um where mank where i'm um, sorry also where citizen kane won the um <laughs> the best picture best screenplay but neither wells nor mankowitz were there i think wells was away shooting um another movie um and mank yeah. thought he basically didn't want to run afoul of anyone who yeah. could get him there so um they they, they collect their um oscars at, um separately, separately yeah and in fact mank goes i i um received his oscar in the same manner the play was written without oscar wells <laughs> Yeah, with that Orson Welles, yeah. And Orson Welles says, uh, he said, if I had one, what is it? Do you have any messages for um, Herman Mankiewicz? And he says, Mank, what did he say? You can kiss my ass. I think it was kiss my hat, wasn't it? <laughs> I can't remember what it was, but it was funny. Because that's the real recording of Orson Welles. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it does. So again, there's the, the postscript that Mank never worked with Wells again, never really a screenplay, never had credit again and died at 55 through alcoholism. Yeah, um, and actually maybe this, we'll come on to this in the analysis as well, but the film is, is it's not just a story about the making of Citizen Kane or the how that emerged into the world. I think it's, yeah. it's a story about alcoholism and quite a few other things as well. Yeah, the last thing is I never realised this until I read around it that Citizen Kane was actually a financial flop when it first oh, came yeah. out. Oh yeah, it was, definitely. Cause the, it, was, uh, the it, was, it was blacklisted. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I don't know if that's a weekend at Crombie's film or not. I don't know if anyone's heard of Citizen Kane. <laughs> well, it might be worth doing on the basis that, um, I mean, I've seen it a few times. I've not seen it for a long time. Um, yeah. It might have been a good idea to watch it <laughs> just before <laughs> this film, wouldn't it, really? Well, I'll tell you what, this yeah. film does rely on you knowing quite a bit it, about Citizen Kane and the does. story of Citizen Kane. Yeah. And, and, no, and no 30s Hollywood, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, um, it, yeah, it does require a little bit of prior knowledge, I think, to get the most out of it. Yeah, but having done that, so I think again we um we did actually we did recap. It's it about half an hour later. <laughs> I, think, I think I did meander. Well, in fairness, uh, you know, I'm not sure that Mank is as entrenched in the public consciousness as say Seven is or The Social Network or some of the other David Fincher's films. So I think it's worth just going over this a little bit. And also, neither of us had seen it before, so it's interesting to hear our first description of the film as well. Indeed. Okay. Well, we'll take a short break and then we'll dive into the themes of Mank. Welcome back as we uh, change the reels, uh, light another cigarette, and uh, see the smoke curl majestically in the black and whiteness of it all uh, as we get down to uh, the themes of Mank. And I suppose I'll kick off uh, very briefly saying, um, from what I understand about how Mank was made, it was a, it was not a cinematic release. It was made for Netflix and released there. Well, um, I, that I, I, although it is a Netflix released film, 
Um, my understanding is that it was originally supposed to be um, released in a traditional way in cinemas, yes. Yes. but um, the release date was the was scheduled for um, kind of early 2020. But obviously, we had a major global pandemic and everything <laughs> closed, and so Netflix did a deal um, with I think it was I can't remember it was the, the independent. Um, I think it was Flying Studio. It's a very independent company that, that David Fincher kind of runs to stream it. And um, so it was intended to be a cinematic release, but ended up being a streaming um, film. It was shown uh, briefly in the cinemas in America uh, oh. for about a week before cinemas closed. Okay. So it was, they, also it, have, they also have to do that to uh, to qualify to go for the Oscars, for, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, they do. So that might have been part of that. But um, I mean, it's get it, it out. It, there. Yeah, and because of that, its box office was one hundred and twenty thousand pounds, one hundred twenty thousand dollars, for example. Okay. So you know, you could read that it's and least say successful it was a, film by some chalk. Yeah, you could say it was a huge flop, but you know, it's not. It was a budget of twenty five million, which is you know, which is in no way Fitcher's most expensive film, but um, it wasn't a huge. It yeah. didn't make a lot of money, but then. It probably did if you think that Netflix bought it. Yeah, but then this, yeah, so this was, um, but this was again a project way back, like it was way like, back. Yeah, he had, he had a dream to make it, but again, the, his insistence on doing it in black and white. We should, we'll get into the, how it looks, but it's, yeah. it's shot entirely in black and white and in the style of an old film. Um, yeah, it's the, the style of an old film. It, yeah, it's 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 made to look old. Um, yeah. and it was it was it's his father's screenplay as well, Jack Fincher. Oh, is it? Um, yeah, and Jack, he he, he had wanted. So apparently, Jack Fincher had, um prepared an early draft of the screenplay in the early 90s and it was very much strongly focused on the idea that Mankiewicz wrote um, Citizen Kane without Orson Welles's input yeah. uh, and that, that was based on a, a theory that was developed in the early 70s um, through evidence that had been transpired that basically Orson Welles wanted to buy the credit off oh. Mankiewicz. Now it's it's since been discredited to a certain extent but um, what David Fincher did as a consequence of that was that he toned the um, conspiracy elements of it down yeah. and made it much more about, uh, it was much more character development. It was like, who wrote Shakespeare there? <laughs> yeah, 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 it's that kind of thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. I don't know if you, yeah, have you seen Anonymous, for example? Which is, uh, I have seen Anonymous, yeah. yeah exactly. it's, it's, there was, that, I, it's I Christopher Marlowe, for example. Yeah, I love Derek Jacobi, but his opening line in Nonus, I think he was one of the backers for it, is one of the most patronising yeah. things, yeah. where he goes, do you realise how a son of a glove maker could have written this? <laughs> it's like... I think just because your father's a glove maker, you're still capable of holding a pen and <laughs> having a thought. And also, also, Derek, um, yes, yes, I do believe that because it happened. Is <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing it's like he wasn't even went to Oxford? How could he have possibly written anything people would like? <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll give Derek a pass. He's uh, he's done some good work. But nonetheless, yeah. I, was, I, both, I was saying. Um, so I, back to the thing of it being in black and white was. Um, I think one of the reasons why it was hard to get funded, a lot of people didn't want it to be like that. Um, in the and, early 90s. Yeah, and we're yeah. kind of think we have a colour version instead to sell for the foreign yeah. markets. Um, and, and interestingly about the film as well, a, a lot of black and white films made nowadays are filmed in colour and then the, the colour is drained out. Whereas this was this was filmed in in black and white, so which, which it, is very different because it affects the makeup and the lighting and everything. It really does. It, yeah. yeah, it's quite it's got quite an extraordinary look, I think, the film. Yeah, because I remember when they they show black and white films being made, you know, behind the scenes. Everyone yeah. looks crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> like got black lipstick on this guy. Yeah, stuff. it's weird, but, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the so I think, but again, the original book again, it was released mostly on Netflix. You know, Parsons and yeah. I think David Fincher. I don't have the actual quote, but says something very interesting, like. Um, like why you know do you mind it wasn't in the cinema release he goes that's not really important anymore is it <laughs> he's got a point though hasn't he yeah that's the thing it's, it's shocking yeah. but it's, it's not, you know the cinematic experience really doesn't matter that much. so um i mean i was i was kind of reflecting on this when i when i watched the film as well because it, it's it's something you don't you don't think of david fincher as uh, a director that would be open to um different mediums of his films you know he makes yeah. he makes very good looking films that need to be seen on the biggest screen with the best sound system and all this kind of stuff as well and i think mank is that kind of film as well you know i'd imagine watching it at the cinema would be an experience because it, it it's a it's a really idiosyncratically looking film um and you know th there are good things and there are bad things about a, a, a streaming site like netflix i guess you know um but i don't think a film like mank i mean i don't think mank would have done any business in the cinema anyway right um because i think it's such a niche film with with such prior knowledge that's needed that it, it, it wouldn't appeal to the masses it would appeal to cinephiles yes. and it would appeal to you know david fincher fans i guess to a certain extent but i don't think it would it wouldn't appeal to the passing public they wouldn't go well, i want to watch a film about the making of citizen kane so netflix is really one of a few places where films like this can get made can get financed yeah yeah so it's um it's interesting in that regard and yeah you you think this is not um someone you know someone uh saying this is the new frontier now david fincher was an established filmmaker who mm. made his living making cinematic films yeah and if his view is well you know so <laughs> if it goes in the cinema it's fine if it goes on netflix it's fine because of course he has made two series on Oof, netflix yeah um, and, yeah and a big chunk of his career the um the mind hunters and yeah which are very good as well which are very good visually very good yeah. um, you know, wonderful yeah. performances and a, a great thing to have in your cv it's not a side project it's it's no, it's, the best of his it work is. and you know you you look at you look at directors like martin scorsese who released the irishman on netflix yeah. um if 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 you're if you're uh, i don't know if your cinema if your cinematic behemoths are turning to streaming sites to get their films made why is that any different or better or worse than how they might have been made anyway right they're getting made aren't they the irishman a near four hour film probably wouldn't have been made in the way it would have been made if it was released at the cinema yeah so yeah, that's what it is yeah, yeah it is interesting isn't it i'm surprised yeah i was just a bit surprised at david fincher's kind of keenness on that but um he's right i suppose it is what it is isn't it doesn't matter anymore well and, again oh, the, the, the dark side of this is um it absolutely chisels out the uh, the cinemas for the money because um well it does the uh was it the uh this is this is the the um the controversy with the black widow uh, movie whereby it kind of got a, a disney plus release and a cinematic yeah. release and the the cinematic release obviously made more money but had to be split with the theaters and the cuts and actually percentage uh, the stars and all this mm. kind of stuff but the disney plus money just went right in their pockets and and that's there there you can imagine almost everything they put out you know even the the film the series they commissioned like you know the mandalorians and stuff yeah. all this very expensive things could be just seen as a loss leader because if they get their cinema releases and people to pay for them that early yeah. screenings that's where yeah. all the money is yeah it, i mean absolutely um it as I say, there are pros and cons with it, aren't there? Um, there's the economic con, I guess, which is that you know cinema is going to suffer for this. Yeah. But there's also there's also the aesthetic or the 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 cultural con as well, I suppose. Which and this is an example of of Manx specifically that um, you know as 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 
you will know from the three previous films that we've done um i'm a huge fan of david fincher um and you know he's a he's, he's a genius in, in many ways the, the the films we've reviewed suggest that we both think he is you know ex, an exceptional director yeah. um but there's something about releasing a film on a maybe and this is my fault not anyone else's maybe lowers my expectations of it a little bit maybe maybe thinks you know maybe david fincher is slumming it a bit maybe this is you know lower budget it's not going to have quite the same care on it now we'll come on to what we think of mank i guess yeah. but you can't say that that's the case with how mank looks and feels right mm. care has been put into mank <laughs> as much care as any of his other films right yeah, yeah. so um, in, in the way that it looks and feels so it obviously isn't that but for some reason it's something to do with the fact that films on netflix and films on streams that seem to just appear yeah. without any fanfare there's no there's no there's no adverts there's no trailers because it's all self-contained well, on you, that you, streaming you don't stuff. leave the house and go to no. a place and sit down and you, you just wander down to your sofa and flip the telly on yeah you flip the telly on and there it is yeah it's just been it's fantastically convenient well, it's fantastically it. convenient but part of me thinks oh a new is that a david a new david fincher film and then i think well it can't be a new david fincher film because we're, i haven't seen any trailers for it or i've not heard any industry buzz about it because netflix keep their films very tightly under wraps yeah yeah it's interesting so it, I, I wonder whether they have the same whether they have the same lasting appeal if you know what i mean because a lot of a lot of the classics that we keep coming back to they're classics because they were you you you, you remember going to the cinema to see them yeah, don't, yeah you, know, you don't remember going into your front room to watch them yeah and again but it was that kind of water cooler everyone's talking about it now yeah you and again there's what on our third marvel movie that's come out now since the and whether there might just be a kind of a, a post superhero slump because they've, mm. they've had their big arc already um but the fact that there's now they just they come out at regular intervals and they can be seen on telly it does take a bit of like you know the buzz up is like, well, i'll watch that yeah i'll watch that when i get around to it it's not like yeah it doesn't what, matter let's go, let's go and no. see the next one in the cinema yeah. before it goes and this kind of stuff it's well, not I'll an event anymore me. is it it's not an event yeah. you don't you don't you don't i mean saying you don't get dressed up to go to the cinema necessarily but you might go out for a meal and then catch you put your film. socks on yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, you exactly. get a meal you get the babysitter you sort of the whole yeah. thing it's interesting, yeah 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 it's good and then and then actually in the cinema you are 100 focused on the film for however long it is i mean if it's a marvel, marvel film it's probably half a day um, <laughs> but someone's coughing behind you well that's true but at home here's the other here's the other part of the good thing about staying at home is there's no <laughs> other people there. yes i mean that is a very big bonus anyway this isn't about the we should probably move on to Mank, <laughs> but it's just interesting that i think you know if man had been released at the cinema i probably would have gone to see it the fact that it was released on netflix and it's been on netflix for a while now yeah i was just like oh i'll get around to it at some point i mean i suppose in some respects i hadn't watched it because i knew it was going to be the last film of our run so i waited but equally you know it was released it was released last year i could have watched it but i didn't yeah anyway there we okay, go so again we'll, we'll should we go to the look of the film then because it is it's incredibly stylistically old hollywood to yeah it's, it, until it's well not. until it's not it, it's yeah it's an interesting one isn't it because um the, the film well, the opening crawls there's that whole kind of like the leaning horizontal thing like their words are on panes of glass yeah it's um so I mean, okay. It, the fact that it's filmed in black and white doesn't mean that it harks back to, you know, old Hollywood, I guess, really. But it's more, it's more than that. In the in the the production design of the film, um, there are elements of. So the film is the film is filmed 
entirely on digital cameras. It's, it's not used, it doesn't use film in it. And, and yeah. David Fincher doesn't really use film. He hasn't used film for a while now. So he uses digital camera work. But they've obviously put on it elements of what old film would do. So the kind of the 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 um the disintegration of film. So you, you see occasionally in the film you see those little black spots. The cudots, yes. The, the cudots, yeah, yeah, the cudots, they appear in the corner. Which are, again, which were used to uh, the projections you know, to change reels, which of course you don't yeah, need on a digital you film. You don't need on a digital film, no. Um, and, I was, I, which I was thinking, one thing that the, the last film I saw that made a big mention of Q dots was Fight Club. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. That's true, actually, yeah. Um, it, it, occasionally, when it fades in and out, you see the graininess of the film. Obviously, the graininess is put into the film, it's, yeah. it's fake graininess. Um, <laughs> it's fake graininess. And a lot of the scenes, um, there's one particular scene when um, um, Mankiewicz and Marion Davis are talking in the garden of the um, the William uh, Randall Hurst castle, uh, and th th it's when they start to bond. They talk about politics. They talk about th their kind of careers, etc. Yeah. That was filmed in the daytime um, because they wanted it to look like. A, a slightly degraded version of a nighttime filming event from the 1930s. So they filmed okay. it in the daytime and then used digital effects to darken the actual lighting. Um, okay. So they did all of those things. And I think it, it's largely successful. And the only thing I would say about it is it's almost a little bit too crisp. It's, it's successful until it isn't anymore. And I can't really pinpoint the reason why sometimes yeah. it just doesn't work, but it, Although it's trying very hard to be a film that looks like it was made in the 30s and 40s, yeah. it looks so good mm. that it, it just isn't. Because there's this, yeah, there's sometimes when it's close ups on like Amanda Seyfried and she yeah. looks cinematically, she's a, she's a 30s starlet and it's crisp and clean. Ab that's that, what I mean. It's yeah. too digital, isn't it? Yeah. it yeah. I, wonder, I wonder whether some of that look might have been achieved better if it was actually on film rather than on a digital kind of camera as it were um it might have been because you know there's there's more degradation there's more um kind of infiltration of dirt and stuff like that you might get on a on film itself on, on actual film obviously it's expensive to film on actual film so people don't tend to do that anymore but you know it, it was an interesting choice because i think it when it works it's really effective and it really takes you into the moment of the film um but when it when it doesn't work it it doesn't mean that I didn't like it when it doesn't work because when it doesn't work, it's still a beautiful looking film. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's, it, it just looks like it's, it really looks like a David Fincher film when it doesn't work. <laughs> right. You know, it just, it has yeah. that same kind of crispness, that slightly off kilter coloring. I know it's black and white, but there's an off kilter coloring to the black and white that, that the way the camera moves is very smooth. The, um, you know, all that kind of stuff as well. It's a very David Fincher film. Um, it's just the elements of it look like it was made in the thirties a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so um, so that was that was his the, the choice for making that again. The sound of it actually, the sound is quite a modern sound, and the, the sound is perfectly clear and well delivered. It's well, yeah, so absolutely, it's it's, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. yeah, it's perfectly clear and well delivered. Although again, they've made choices about the sound to make it affect a 1930s um, production. So you know. His his usual um, collaborators, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, are they they produce the music, but they only used instruments that would have been used 
in the 1930s. So there's no electronic music, for example. It's all actual instruments. And the music is of the era to a large extent. But again, there's a crispness to the music. (laughs) There's a there's and it was filmed. It's 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 filmed. um, The sound is is mono as well. It's not stereo. Um, And that was another choice because it wouldn't have been stereo. Um, at the time that that would have been made, it would have been mono. So, again, it's mono. They've used the they've used the instruments, but it still f- sounds a million dollars. It still sounds expensive and crisp. It doesn't sound like it's nearly, you know, a hundred years old. Yeah, yeah. And so the question for me is, why bother? Yes, I suppose. Right. Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, why? If you're telling the story of you know, the making of Citizen Kane or you know, the the alcoholism of Mac in the, in the school, does it need to be made like that? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I have no problem with a film being made black and white. And I think actually black and white cinematography is one of the finest things to look at. Right. It, it, it's in I, I think I, I could watch Mank just look at it for hours and hours. It, it looks fantastic. And I do have a soft spot for black and white cinematography. So it's not that so much because that's an artistic decision and you can make those kind of choices. Yeah. But the whole, the kind of ersatz simulacra of the 1930s, I just think is unnecessary because why can't it just be a very modern filmed film about the 1930s in the same way that you know if you were making a film about medieval japan you know you, you what you wouldn't need to do in seppuku theater <laughs> no you wouldn't would you you'd just film you'd make a film right yeah. so it doesn't you know it doesn't matter really if i'd wanted to watch a 1930s or early 40s film about the control of the media about the effects of loneliness about megalomania i might have watched citizen kane <laughs> yes. right because it covers exactly the same issues yeah. Except it's Citizen Kane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's there, there's there, I I admire it for that. I really do admire it, but I also am a bit befuddled by it because I don't think it adds a huge amount other than it just looks great. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that um, when we're talking about a uh, again a, a film that I liked quite a lot, but you didn't like 1917. You thought that the the, yes. the gimmick of the fact that the camera never stops overtook the story within it, and it feels like again this was so keen on being and and you know an old style 1930s film it almost lost the reason of why that was important to telling the story yes and um i i do i, I agree with that um that there was a a false authenticity to the film that the effort of the film the effort of its production designers who by the way you know well done because it looks fantastic and it certainly feels of its age was perhaps it felt like that was the most important thing in the film right that was the key thing to get right um and i think as a result of that i found the film a bit cold Mm. i found it hard to connect to um maybe that's a little bit unfair It, it certainly has its moments and i think gary oldman is really good in the role and i think the character i think i think mankiewicz as a character in the film is really interesting as a kind of flawed hero stroke anti-hero i suppose to a certain extent um but i couldn't quite work out if it was a biopic or biopic is it biopic or biopic i'll go with biopic biopic i couldn't work out if it was a biopic no it's Uh, definitely biopic biopic. (laughs) you've said it three times it's all wrong i couldn't work out if it was a biopic about him whether it was a film about the artistic process Mm. a film about kind of revenge or um politics i couldn't work out if it was a film 
I couldn't even work out in the end whether it was a film about the fact that someone decided he wanted a credit. Was that what yeah, it was about? Yeah, you know, yeah. and I thought, surely it can't be about that because that's a bit dull. Well, here's, here's the thing again, a couple of points with that is that um, this isn't the first time that you know, David Finch's stories have been about a making of something. Um, mm. with, basically has like, a yeah, the social network, for example. Exactly. It's a making of something that we all know how it ends. We know that the Facebook ends up to be enormous and mm. we know that Zuckerberg's up in charge of it. So there's no mystery there. But the social right. network was made with incredible drama and suspense um, all around that. So it's, I would I would add Zodiac to that as well. It's a film that you know that no one was found yeah. Um, no, you you know the outcome of it because no one was no one was arrested, and yeah, yet yeah. that and and that's two hours and forty minutes long, and the social network is two hours and twenty minutes long. So he has made long films yeah. where you already know what's happened, exactly. and they are thrilling and yeah. gripping. And exactly, and this obviously, yeah, Citizen Kane is arguably you know a more exciting uh, yeah. outcome than say Facebook or whatever, but um, it, it wasn't as gripping. There was there was something was lost in how it was told and i think that's that's due to the again probably the script or the story of it whatever the the, the drama was wasn't there and there was there was attempts to make it the drama but you know how can you write this about you know someone you knew or you mm. know even the sharing credit with wells but it it didn't catch that same this is a story you already know but we're going to make you care about it a lot yeah and that, exactly and that, exactly. that was missing for me uh, yeah uh, me me too me too um and uh, part of that i think is that there are some kind of weird decisions, no, maybe they're not weird decisions, but despite the film being quite long, so it's about two hours and 10 minutes, two hours and 20 minutes, I can't remember, it's quite, it's quite it's a long a, it's film. It's a big one, yeah, yeah. It's a big one, um, it, 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 its pacing is weird, so yes, in yeah. some in some places it, it drags quite a lot, and in other places things are just skirted over quite quickly, so it, it takes quite a lot of time to set up a potential burgeoning relationship between Mankiewicz and Marion Davis. And I was quite enjoying that to a certain extent because I thought it might lead somewhere. I don't, I don't mean romantically necessarily, but I thought it might lead somewhere in terms of why I couldn't figure out whether the Marion character was the the character in Citizen Kane, right? And it turns out it probably was the character yes. in Citizen Kane. Um, you know, the talentless actress who is funded by, um, you know, funded through a bit like the William Hurst, uh, William um, yeah, yeah. Hurst process, right? So that's fine. But then very quickly and he basically realizes that she's probably not the person he thinks she is because he asks her to step in when the propaganda films are made to withdraw the propaganda films from circulation i suppose really by asking william randall hurst to withdraw them i, I think that's what happens or, or at least yeah, was, yeah she, she would go to mayor saying hurst has just told her to pull the films and yeah. they would believe her um yeah and that exactly. was his last ploy to get these yeah. propaganda films pulled. But she can't do it because at that particular point, she's signed a contract with Warner Brothers. Now, it's not the fact that she signed the contract with Warner Brothers. It's the fact that she'd, she'd she, to quote, had made her exit. So yeah. she'd left the, the she'd left the lot and didn't want to go back and spoil that exit. So she had a bunch she, of flowers. She'd had a, she's, yeah, exactly. Big, big round yeah. of applause yeah. and this kind of stuff. So it was more important her for her to re, to to have that remain as how she left MGM than to actually do something of what Mank thought she cared about, right? To she, a certain extent, yeah. she, certain. He, she didn't completely understand what he was on about. No, uh, because he's been cryptic. But he, she wouldn't do it yeah. because she was that was more important to her. And and as a consequence of that, <clears> the <throat> second half of the film, she's almost sidelined completely, and you yeah. you don't really see her again until very nearly the end when Citizen Kane has been written, and she comes to see him, and says, 
you know, um, well, he, he says, 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 I hope, she says I, don't I, kick him when he's down. Yeah, exactly. You know, billionaire William Randall Hurst. What? But he, um, Mankiewicz says, I hope you won't, something like, I hope you won't hate me. I hope you won't, um, I hope you forgive me if, if, if I, you know, if, if this is, if this is filmed as as the script is and she says i hope you'll forgive me if if um i i you know i, I hope you forgive me if, it, if it's not suggesting that she might try everything that she does and that that was a i don't know it went it went from quite a close relationship to a very cold relationship to a certain extent very quickly i mean over a long period in the film but was actually maybe one or two scenes the other one was the actual uh the credit which to be honest throughout the film i didn't even think was part of the film yeah. It was hardly mentioned. It was, I mean, it was mentioned, and I get why it was mentioned, but it didn't feel like it was the film. And then it was only about in the last 15 minutes yeah. when it became very much about that. And then I wondered, was this what it was about all along? He wanted yeah, the credit on it. And I thought, even, even up to the 15 minutes from the end, um, he's saying, I don't want the credit. He goes, look, you've got your script. I've got my money. I'm happy. And then Wells has a conversation with him when he says how upset it's made everybody. And then Mank says, look, I need to talk to you. I want the credit. Yeah, it was that quickly, yeah. and even Wells is like, "What did I say?" And yeah. we left a bit like, "What did he say?" Yes, so you know, th th there's a, I don't know, if that felt a bit rushed, despite it being a two-hour and twenty-minute film. And the other thing is, um, I, th although I, 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 I came to um, roll with its rhythms over uh, after a while, the the kind of split between the the now, as it were, him writing the screenplay and the then, i.e. his life in Hollywood, yeah. that for the first half an hour, I'll be honest, I didn't have a clue what was going on. <laughs> and and it, that might be me not being very good at synopsis and, and, and plot and stuff like that, but it just, the, it, I almost felt like I was dropped into a film that had been going on for a bit already. And I was like, what have I missed? Well, yeah, I couldn't yeah. have missed anything because this is the start of the film. What am I expected to know here? And things were moving so fast, I couldn't get a grasp on on the situation. I did eventually, and then when I looked back over the first bit of the film, I was like, all right, okay, that makes that sense, that makes that sense. But to be honest, if you can't do that straight away, that's the fault of the film, that's not my fault. Yeah, well, just to recap this, we're, we're, we're dropped in the in the beginning of the film. Um, we're in the 30s, a friend of Manx comes along, meets Manx's brother, then introduced to Manx, and then a whole room of writers who are presumably very famous in a in Paramount Studios, where they talk to the Paramount executive. We yeah. then flash forward to a writer's room in MGM, where he taught him introduced his brother to Meyer, who yeah. then go that, and then his the original guy who introduced him takes him to go drinking to meet his aunt, who is Marion Davis, and then he gets thrown into the Hearst thing. So it's it's a it's a, so it's, much it is rattles through it, yeah. So much is happening and um and wouldn't it be nice if say if, if we could have had a voiceover if mag had been telling the story because uh, yeah. it's having somebody to guide you through this because we didn't we would we were just thrown in watching it all which again might add yeah. to the, the, the remove of it if would mag kind of making that talking to rita alexander saying because they do he says you knew marion davis you knew hearst and this kind of stuff um in fact she does it in a really strange delivery when she goes you don't like will louis b mayor do you and it's one of the most <laughs> oddest deliveries yeah it's weird but either it's way, weird, um, yeah. they're, they're talking to each other um, and you think what if he just told her the story rather than doing the flashback thing then he could give us mm. some context saying it was the 30s I just written a load of plays because we don't know we know what we're told he's a great writer but he's clearly slumming in Hollywood not caring very much so where where is his success that we see we yes it was almost, presented, yeah. you're right it was almost a bit too willfully obscure wasn't it the way that it was presenting itself you're right e either either uh, the flashback i mean even even the the interstitial cards were saying things like um you know 29th of may 1930 flashback yeah, so yeah. i mean it's telling you it's that 
but I was still, I still was like, oh right, so that wasn't, a, I couldn't, so that wasn't yeah. a flashback what I've just watched, yeah. and this is. So yeah. what was that? Which yeah, which also is again that that stuff we were with the uh, the flashback. That's a that's a, a quite a modern of postmodern take on it. Yeah, it that is. would have happened in an old movie. That's the, the that's, yeah. that's, that's that's ping pong the corner. So it's again, it is both an old movie and it is not an old movie. Yeah, absolutely. So it's and not like, for instance, the artist that was very deliberately made as a, yeah. a black and white movie of its time. Yeah. And at the very end, kind of breaks character with a with a sound. With the, yeah. Um, but this was this was made to kind of hint at how an old movie was made with a huge amount of effort and production values going into it yeah absolutely a bit more than a hint but i think it was meant to suggest it but also to to put some modern stuff in there as well yeah so i I mean i agree with you i would have preferred it if um, maybe this is you know it sounds more simple doesn't it but sometimes simple is more effective i would have preferred it if mank had been retelling the story um to uh, rita alexander or at least for the first half an hour or 40 minutes or whatever just one story was told yeah, yeah and so i could get into that story <clears throat> yeah rather than because literally in the first 30 minutes there must have been about nine or ten cuts to different time frames and different periods of what's working and what's not working and when you're not you know I, I i watch films i know about the you know old hollywood i've seen citizen kane i know the stories behind it but i'm i'm not an expert right and even someone who like like me who knows a, a bit was I didn't quite know what was I didn't quite get it I didn't I wasn't quite in it you know so I can't imagine what it might be like to someone who just has no interest in that yeah you should be required to have a PhD in Hollywood history to 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 enjoy a film yeah Yeah, yeah. exactly you shouldn't you shouldn't um but back to the weird pacing again you would the whole in an hour in the movie and for the first hour it is about can this script be written it's like his his, you've got 90 days then you've got 60 days Mm. and then it's two weeks two weeks they were saying like man time is running out you've written you know 30 pages that's yeah. not a movie you've got 13 days left and everyone's panicking and yeah. then the next script is mank you've done it and it's like <laughs> so for an hour i thought is this going to be like a race to the wire some real drama but turns out no that wasn't he that was now it's going to be a different story well you're right and again it it questions for me what <laughs> it sounds awful because it sounds awful because i actually quite like the film but what was it about yeah what was it it was two hours and 20 minutes of Gary Oldman on screen being Mankiewicz and that's interesting to a point right it's interesting to a point and it has scenes in it which are really really well played and you know some of its best scenes are really good the scene toward the end when they're in the the, the castle and and um, Mankiewicz vomits on the floor and um, you know there, there's some really good and there's some quite tender scenes as well between him and Sarah Mankiewicz as well which I really liked because I wasn't expecting that because as much as Mankiewicz isn't a particularly sympathetic character there are there are parts of his character which are very he, he's not an asshole if you know yeah, what I mean yeah. if that makes sense I mean he's a bit of an asshole but he's not you know he loves his wife he he has his morals i suppose which a lot of people yeah. around him don't seem to have yeah, so he's, he, he, he's an he engaging goes, goes, character yeah, he tries to go to the map for his friend who ends up killing himself you know he, yeah. he does genuinely try and help him and he just genuinely feel um again he's funny he's, he's very aware of the uh, the political state of how you know people are hurting because you know the money men are, are crushing yeah. them yeah. and he stands up against it a bit um not yeah. not enough to re-stick his neck out but then he also he gets so upset by it he will hurt himself like he makes a ridiculous bet that he know yeah. he'll lose because at this point when he makes this bet um about the result of the election his debts have been cancelled his gambling debts are, are cancelled because yeah. actually then um, 
Volberg said, you know, he took the idea from him in the first place, but yeah. he, he refuses that cancellation, goes double or nothing, and loses an absolute fortune. Fortune, yeah. Just Much because his wife's the, concern, you know. Yeah, she leans over and goes, I'm going to be sick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, exactly. But, he, but you, you also know that he's very generous in the sense that he's rescued a, a whole village of um, uh, Jews in Germany and brought them over to America. Because that that is, is that A, out of nowhere, and B, is yeah. we're told rather than seen. Yes. Um, and yeah. it's, it was Because it's basically, it's the moment when his secretary is about to resign because she's had enough of his drinking. Yeah. Uh, and then his nurse just goes, he saved me and all my village. He is yeah. a good man. It's like, where did that come from? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, that might be true, right? I mean, if it's it, true, it might... it's fantastic. But where did it if, come from? And also, if it, yeah, it's true. And, and it's almost... Again, it's the purpose of that. It's dropped into the film to prevent his secretary leaving. Yeah. yeah. Rather than being dropped in the film because that's an extraordinary story. Yeah, yeah. Right? So it's almost... I almost feel like it's diminished a little bit by the fact that it's just being used so we can continue drinking well, and then have a creative comedy. spark. It's a romantic <laughs> comedy. That at one point, the uh, the female love interest would lose patience, about to leave, and she discovers something wonderful about her yeah. her bow. Like you know, he likes golden retrievers or something. Yeah, and yeah. then, it, but but that was dropped in with that kind of canon. It's like he saved a hundred people from Nazi Germany. That's that's yeah. Schindler level. But it no, it's, so, it, it's thrown in like, oh, give him another chance. He saved yeah. a of Jews. From give, give give him. He deserves that glass of whiskey. Yeah, it's really like, odd. It's, it's, it's not like it's, it's a crate of whiskey. It's like yeah, it's enough, whiskey. enough whiskey, one might say, to kill a man at fifty-five with liver disease. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, fair, fair play. He saved he saved a hundred um, Jews from Nazi Germany, but maybe they should have stopped him drinking. Yeah, maybe Frau Farberg put a spritzer in there every now and again. Yeah, <laughs> every now and again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just water it down a bit. Yeah, he may be a and, good man, but he's also with with a drunk. Yeah, I, I, but I mean, I, have to, I feel I'm being. A, I feel I'm being a bit harsh as well because um, th this film is. Th th I didn't. Let me, how how can I say this? I enjoyed the film to a certain extent, right? I enjoyed it. I thought that I thought the look of the film was was great. It's idiosyncratic, yes, but it still looks really good. I mean, the cinematographer won an Oscar um, for it. Um, I liked. I think. I think the script in places really zings. Um, but it's 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 not enough though right it's you know every every 15 minutes or so or every 20 minutes there'll be a really good interplay between really good actors right at the top yeah. of their game doing something you think oh that was really good uh, and i wanted that a bit more and it just it didn't happen all the time um i think gary oldman is great in it i think amanda seyfried is really really good as well i think um i think alice howard as louis b mayer is like most valuable player in this almost because he doesn't have a huge role but he makes he makes the most of of what that is um you know i think tom burke was good in a small role tuppence middleton was good despite the odd casting choice she, you know yeah. she does a, she puts in a good shift in the film as well in, a, in quite in a, a small in a, role in a, yeah very very and um, um, rewarding role because yeah. know, she's mostly there to look disapproving or disappointed. Um, she, she she does, yeah, she is mostly there to do that. But I actually think what she managed to do, and I'm not quite sure how she did this because she must be on screen for all of about 15 minutes or so. Yeah, but um, she, yeah, she manages to convey how much she cares about Mankiewicz, and by contrast, how much Mankiewicz cares for her. Yeah. In the very small screen time they have together, there is a. I mean, I know that they're very different ages, but they do have a certain amount of chemistry, which I found interesting. Um, so, you know, there's there's that. Um, I suppose fundamentally for me, though, 
a film already exists about all of this stuff, <laughs> yes. doesn't it? Yeah. And it's the great, and it's considered the greatest film ever made. So yeah. why make this? Yeah. And it's... I mean, I, I have a bit of an issue with, I don't have issue with films about filmmaking per se. So, you know, I, I, I quite like films about the filmmaking process, but what I'm really, what I really don't like is films about the myth or the law of a film yeah yeah because i think it's never whatever you're trying to do in that film it's never going to be as good as just watching the film you're talking about because that's the that's the law that's the legend yeah well right? also i think that again it, it's probably you know hollywood you know it's, it's their nature but it, it's treated with a lot more reverence than anything else is and it's it's i mentioned the social <laughs> network because the people the writers who wrote about oh, yeah. facebook and the people who filmed about facebook probably thought facebook is really boring so yeah. let's make it exciting yeah. and they did whereas in this there's assumption that we're right about citizen kane you're going to be so excited by this yeah. we don't have to you know artificially introduce anything that will make you excited you're going to care about it anyway and it's like well i don't care about it that much you know no, you're right yeah it's exactly it a i don't care about it that much b i've got to know a whole load of information about 1930s and early 40s hollywood yeah. um which i don't <laughs> know that much and and you know i probably know more than most but even i don't know that much like the um, on the table saying on oh, here's here's perlman here's lombard here's Cantor. Yeah, like, well, yeah, these, no. these names do not mean anything to me and, and i shouldn't no. be excited by them yeah and it's it's it, it's, it's another example it's another example of, of filmmakers doing these things where they get an opportunity to um have you know cameoed characters in it so in in this film you've got greta garbo briefly you've got joseph von sternborg you've got norma shearer you've got joan crawford you know you've got quite you've got betty davis in it you've got clark gable uh, you know but again huh? <laughs> yeah. so, so what <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, why do I care that Greta Garbo is represented in Mank? I mean, <laughs> yeah, she's she, she's just in it because she well, the, a representation of who she was is in it because she's Greta Garbo. But I could just watch a Greta Garbo film. I don't need this. It's not. It's not like. It's not like other genres. So like when a, when when you get films about other genres, a film seems necessary because in those other genres, a film doesn't exist about that thing. Right. Yeah. So you could make a film about a novel, obviously, you know, adaptations. You can make a film about art works of art. You can make films about artists. You can make films about politicians. You can make films about all the. But making a film about a film seems really incestuous. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be necessary to me because you've got the film. There are so yeah. many things you could be making films about. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm struggling to think about yeah films about films that, that really don't just fall into the pit of you kind of you know, isn't this wonderful. Um, no, I mean, I've I've got um, I had similar films in my mind and I, I don't really like any of them except except one. Actually, one stands out a little bit differently. So for me, I was thinking Edward is an example yeah, yeah. of a film about I mean, that's a film about Edward. I get it in the same way that Mank is a film about Mank, but it's not yeah. really. It's a film about a time and a place and how yeah. filmmaking happens. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's there's that one. And I'm not a massive fan of Edward, I've got to say. Uh, Saving Mr. Banks, which is about the filming and the making and the history of mary poppins yeah, yeah um which okay but just watch mary poppins i mean you know, <laughs> um, there's a film called trumbo which is um about um dalton trumbo who's um blacklisted as a communist in the mccarthy okay. um crimes trumbo is played by brian cranston it's, uh, oh, okay. he's very he's very good in it and this is another thing he's in it and the construction and the way the film is made is very good but again 
I just don't care about a story about how Roman Holiday was made. Right? <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. I don't care about a film about how Spartacus was made, which is yeah. what he also wrote, because Spartacus is much better. <laughs> so just watch Spartacus. The only film I can think of, which is a film about the law and the myth of filmmaking, is Shadow of the Vampire, okay. which is a film with um, Willem Dafoe, uh, and it's about the, the making of Nosferatu. Okay. And um, the, the law and the legend around Nosferatu is that Max Schreck, who played Nosferatu, went into, um, what, you know, the kind of the Robert De Niro style of filmmaking where he went native, as it were. You know, yeah, he, yeah. He, and he, yeah, he started to drink the blood of you know, cats and dogs to get this. Yeah. And, and the shadow of the vampire went further and suggested that he was an actual vampire and would be yeah. killing people on set and stuff like that. So I quite like that because it's not taking itself too seriously. And yeah, it's yeah. Just using that to do something different. That's really the only one I can think of. And I say, I don't mind watching films about films being made, right? If those films aren't real. Yeah. You know, that, I don't mind that at all because that's quite interesting to see the craftsmanship there. But this isn't that. This is a film about the myth and the legend of a film. And just the film exists. So just watch it. In 50 years' time, are we going to see biopics about how Lord of the Rings was made and this kind of stuff? Well, it is my point. Yeah, are we going to watch biopics about the and are they going to be interesting in Marvel films? Yeah, of course be... we're not. They're not going to be interesting, are they? Because they're not interesting. They're not interesting now. They weren't interesting then. So right? I have a, I a problem about, about um, director's cuts of movies. It feels to me very often it's like looking at the uh, the notes that a writer got edited out of the book. It's like yeah. that, that's the process of removing that's the process the of it. Exactly. It's like I don't want to see you know a, a statue covered with all the marble bits stuck back on. Yes. I want to see what happened when you removed it all. <laughs> yeah. and it's the finished product. Such a good metaphor for it. You're exactly right. Now I can understand it if a director feels like he's had creative control taken away from him. Yeah, there are exceptions. Right? There are there are some exceptions. I know Blade Runner has about twenty different yeah. cuts but then i get confused because i don't know what the what's the canon right what's what's the so what's the blade runner canon what is it what's the film we should watch yeah yeah because I, right? I, I don't want to watch 20 different versions of blade Runner. just give me yeah, the film i'm supposed to like, watch it was like blade runner 20th anniversary blade runner director's cut blade runner extended yeah. director's cut blade runner. Yeah, just, <laughs> i don't what is it which one is it i'm supposed to be watching yeah. And it suggests to me that nobody knows, right? So that's that's not great. But you, you're exactly right, yeah. Films that, you know, are, I know, they've got a special edition where they release the director's cut. I never watch director's cuts yeah. because in the same way that you submit a book to your editor for the editor to edit, that's what happens. You're right. You don't, you don't if you want to see a, a work of art, you don't want the blank canvas, do you? Yeah. You don't want all the, sh sorry, you don't want all the <laughs> rubbish that the person's put on beforehand before they've got to the point at which the, the painting is finished. Yeah. I feel like I'm a bit, I'm overly angry there for no reason whatsoever, but I don't know. It just it feels very navel gazing. Yeah, the lots of things about Hollywood. Yeah, the Hollywood. And I suppose it's Hollywood, isn't it? Right. Yeah, I mean that's Hollywood for it. I mean, um, yeah. and yeah, again to, to wrap up on just my my final thoughts of of how it went is that I suppose I will say I wasn't immensely blown away by Gary Oldman's performance. To me, he can okay. be quite hit and miss, and mm. he seemed to be doing quite the standard charming drunk um he was mm. lots of kind of like slightly yeah. and i thought well, okay but uh, you know and, and and again they um yeah there, there is footage exists of mank and you know so maybe he, he took that performance from that mm. he's, he's quite good at embodying a character yeah. but then i was thinking like again i'm coming back to the social network jesse eisenberg's performance we <laughs> yeah. now know is nothing like mark no. zuckerberg in real life no. but it was a fantastic matter, realization yeah. on screen and i thought could you have pushed a bit further and made him interesting in a way that wasn't just this guy's really drunk he's yeah. a functional alcoholic with a, with a talent that he's got to emerge from and 
so it, and this comes to the, to the finale of the dinner. This is clearly that that dinner scene where he he basically burns every bridge he has mm. with um, with Hurst yeah. and with and he um, regales the story of Don Quixote, which is basically yeah. Citizen Kane, right? Yeah, yeah, it does all this, which again. I was was meant to be the big finale. Now, a couple of reasons why it didn't resonate with me is one, I know the story of Don Quixote and I know the story of Citizen Kane and I know yeah. the story that they've just written and I know the story of William Hurst. So yeah. him telling me again in an exactly the way, there were no twists. I, it was like, I know all this. Can we yeah. hurry it up, please? Yeah. So it wasn't great. And secondly, this was probably the more thing where it didn't feel it emotionally was. I never got the sense from the previous flashbacks that Mank held any of these people, apart from Marion yeah. Davis, anything other than contempt. Contempt, he, you're right. He is, yes. he is always snide, he's always sniping, and they may laugh at him, but he never says like, oh, you know, they're a bit silly, but they're my friends still. He he actively hates Louis B. May. Yeah. And, and he does. doesn't so, yeah. so that, that You're right. So that final sequence is it's just same. what you expect it to be. Yeah, it's, it's just not, the same thing. Exactly. It's not like there's any connection with Hearst, even if maybe Hearst feels a connection, it's not there. They, they, they go mm. fishing together or whatever, or they talk and actually they connect. There's never that moment that he's really ruined his, his relationship with Hearst, and that is what the basis of Citizen Kane was, because that was the, the tear in their friendship. It's like, mm. I never got a sense of a friendship. Hearst tolerated him because he was funny, and you have little curiosities in your dinner table to keep the guests entertained. But there was like, there was never a sense of, now it's over. And you know, this, yeah. this, because this dinner party, it is set up like that. He's like tapping his glass with a fork, and because he's so drunk, he smashes the glass. Yeah. And then it scene cuts, and it's like, is it what happens? And then yeah. it cuts back in there, and he does a whole speech. But the whole speech, it had no emotional resonance for me because of that. It, it wasn't either going anywhere new, and it wasn't breaking up a relationship I thought existed. You're right, and yeah, I suppose fundamentally, if he is employed as a court jester, yeah, that's all he's doing, isn't it? There's yeah. no different. Nothing changes. There's no. There's no personal development, or there's no. There's no comeuppance. There's no. There's. It's just the same thing again. It's just he's a. He's the court jester, and okay, maybe at the final point he has. He's riled Louis B. Mayer to the extent that he walks off, but that's the point of him, right? Yeah. I mean, and again, also, this is. Like you know, Louis B. Mayer, William Hurst, yeah, they're the money men, they're the Republicans, they're, you know, they're, they're squashing the socialists, they're putting out propaganda, they're, they're not doing terribly nice things, but they're also not really deceiving him about what they're doing. They're very open saying, I mm. support this candidate, I hate this guy, yeah. I, I will crush him. It's like, well, they haven't changed. They are very consistent no. in what they are saying and yeah. doing. It's not, William Mandel Hurst, though, again, this is again telling, not showing. Apparently, in his youth, was much more, you know, crusader for for workers' rights and this kind of stuff. But this is all coming in the the um, you know the drunken monologue from yeah, Mank. Yeah. It's, it's never a sense of he truly believed Hearst could change. But then Hearst did this propaganda video that destroyed his friend, the, the director. It's like no, he knew Hearst was a, a rich guy that could get anything he wanted and was abusing his power. And yeah, that's consistent. Hearst didn't change at all. But the thing is, it. And and on I think on top of all of that, I mean, Mankiewicz is also cynical, like, yeah. like them, isn't he? He's he's the same. He's the same, isn't he? I mean, he he doesn't necessarily have the same politics per se. He's you know he's it, it sounds to me like from the film that he's a socialist, um, yeah. or at least ha has kind of inklings, but doesn't really do anything about it. Doesn't really help their cause per se. Um, he's as cynical as any of them around the table. Um, and so, uh, I suppose in some respects, at least at least you know where they stand. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, whereas he comes across a bit, he's not unsympathetic, but he's also a bit just he's a bit slippery. 
Yeah, well, he's, right. he's taking he's, he's living the high life he's taking their shit yeah, yeah. Um, and he's also saying what they're doing is bad and they're ripping up people off like he's making a fortune off movies yeah because um, he mentioned he mentions actually like, you know, the whole writers guild saying you know the uh um they in fact they, there are working men in the streets who don't make you know a tenth of what mm. we writers make and he's it's true and though he may sympathize with them he's not doing a lot for them like you know no. he's, um, so yeah it's uh it's it's and maybe that look, maybe that's who he was, right? In which case, yeah. he, there's no need to soften him yeah. for my benefit, right? If that's but, who but, he is, yeah. then that's who he is. But there's so many other artifices in the film. But how, that, does, he, how does that sour him so profoundly on yeah. Hurst that he writes yeah. you know, a, a, an assassin assassination piece for the ages? What did he do? Yeah, you're right. What did he do? That that what did he do that really? Because he, when, yeah. he himself hasn't hasn't already done. Because when he's asked about this, in, as he's writing it, I think with them. Um, uh, Rita says, "Why do you hate her so much?" And he goes, "Have you heard?" Oh, I think the, the editor says, "Have you heard the tale of an organ grinder's mm. monkey?" Um, and that was actually the last thing, the conversation yeah, we see yeah. us having. And we're thinking, was that really it? Was the, yeah, the fact was that, that it was it? pointed yeah. out, was the fact it was pointed out to him that he is just an entertainer with ideas above his station? Did that cause everything? And so that's, that's <laughs> but quite... you, the, the more I think about this, I think you you you, you hit the you've hit the nail on the head where, you, where you, you talk about the comparisons between this and the Social Network. I think in some respects the Social Network is the complete antithesis to this because in the Social Network there are very very few very minor issues that. Um, Mark Zuckerberg takes against. Um, so, for example, it it was um, uh, at the, the Andrew Garfield character. I can't remember the name now, but Andrew Garfield character was was um, allowed into a particular um, oh, yes, fraternity. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and and Zuckerberg wasn't, and it seemed to be that that was what he couldn't handle, and so yes. everything he did consequently was based on getting back at him for that for him not yes. being allowed in with the others. And it's a similar thing in Mank, isn't it? It's it, Was that it, the organ grinder bit? Was that it, really? But in the social network, it works yes. brilliantly because Zuckerberg is not, in the film, a sympathetic character. But the script, the way that it's pulled together, its thriller-like elements means that you are pulled into it and you believe it. And you think, my God, what a megalomaniac. Yeah. What a megalomaniac. It's the antithesis of Mank, I think, in some respects, it it's almost it has the same kind of structure in the same in the sense of the flashbacks and the current um, bits, the same kind of structure, the same kind of tone of the film in the sense that everybody's a little bit unlikable um, and, you know, the outcome and little things seem to get on people's nerves hugely um, to the point that they build a whole world of revenge around it. Um, and yet it it all falls place in the social network and in Mank it doesn't. It, yeah maybe it's maybe it's um maybe it's the script in the social network that, compared yeah. to I mean, the script in mank right the social network seemed to have a, a much superior writer of the script and in a sense if the script was written as ideally 10 years before the social network mm. it's a much older script anyway yeah, yeah it is yeah so maybe again even though fincher's had you know four decades of, of working his craft he, he didn't have the best material to work with and in fact maybe just not the best story uh, maybe I think it's personally I just think it's the story because I, I didn't I, I actually think the script of Mank is fine and I think it has its moments and there were some bits in it where um, you know I, I chuckled and I thought it's, it, it had good patter if that makes sense but that doesn't really make a film okay um, so I thought the script was fine um, but I you know it it's it's not a it, it, it's not it's not social network level of script and maybe that is the difference because I don't think David Fincher has put any less effort into this film, right? Yeah, in terms yeah. of how it looks and feels. He, he's he's come to it with his same 
precision and perfectionism. Uh, it doesn't. It looks as good as anything he's ever done. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just the story isn't quite there. It's just an. It's a non-story. It's a so what. Yeah. Yeah. And that. And that so what in the social network was absolutely pulsing. And in this, it's just a bit of a wet flannel. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I. I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> if that film, the social network, didn't exist, would we have that kind of comparison? Because it's mm. it's been shown what you can do with a, a yeah. again, not a non-story to make it absolutely compelling. Um, and, yeah, yeah, right. And and I, I mean, actually, until until our conversation now, I hadn't, I hadn't actually linked the similarities between Mank and the Social Network to the extent that I think there are similarities in the way that the story is pulled together, the way that the script is 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 imbued into the story, the way that it's filmed, the way that it's structured, yeah. the characters in them. There's very there's a lot of similarities in it. But one film is almost perfect. The other one the other one is a bit of a non entity. Yeah. Again, it's interesting because I I was Again, once I realised the second on the second run I watched this, I was looking for the similarities. And again, um, Lily Collins is playing obviously the Rashida Jones character, she is, the, the she? witness to the genius. Yeah. But Rashida Jones just gets to have that line at the end saying, "You're not an asshole. You just try so hard to be." Oh, um, what whereas, a line! Because Lily Collins just gives him a hug and yeah, <laughs> yeah. and says, "Well, how well, lovely he is." And yeah, maybe you know, maybe maybe Finch is blind a little bit by the fact that the script was written by his dad. I don't know. Yeah, you know, was, you don't know these things, that. do you? Or again, all the fact that it's you know it's, you know it's written you know a legend of Hollywood wrote you know the greatest movie you know movie movie goers yeah. love uh, movie aficionados love Citizen Kane you know, there's there's something about it you know I don't think Fincher has strong feelings about Facebook. No, um, no, so you're right. It's, you're it's, right. It, well, you wonder what went into it, but it's certainly the outcome. I think yeah, it could have used a more steely eye on the whole. Yeah, thing. I think you're right. Well, well, there we go. There we um, go. I mean that. And, and that concludes our David Fincher um, review of 2020. It's been a fun journey, hasn't it? It has. It's, I tell you, it's opened my eyes to David Fincher. It certainly has me as well. And, you know, um, if if there is, I don't know, what, what do you what do you take from these four films, Hugh? I mean, that's a bit of an open question. What, what's your what's your <laughs> what's your thinking about David Fincher now that you've revisited some of the some of his films and, and seen Mank for the first time? Yeah. Um, well, I think having now again. If I saw a David Fincher, if I saw the next David Fincher, I'd recognise it. I wouldn't need his name mm. the, the credits to know I was watching a David Fincher. Uh, and again, when the next one comes out, I'd watch it eagerly. I think, um, mm. like you said, I think we, we kind of hit the high watermark with the third decade. He said he's practically, you know, a sure thing in Hollywood. He just made hit after hit after hit of mm. really popular and well-made films. In I guess in an age of Hollywood that, you know, is very franchise dominated. So to get an individual film that makes yeah. a lot of money um just on the basis of it, it's a good story. Um, is remarkable. Mind you, I think about franchise, a lot of those were basically the best-selling novels or, or well, that, yeah, websites. True. But you got to you got to go somewhere. But the fact was, you know, he he makes standalone you know stories that are so visually arresting and so you know at the effort put into them. And I think we've had this before: is a lot of directors his age are just sort of turning it in now. They're not. They are. They're, they're not yeah. really pushing. Whereas he's, no, they're not. Seems, I mean, like he's yeah, still... Matt. Yeah, Mank was not, a, you know, a slight effort in there. No, and and although Mank didn't connect with me in the way that that a lot of his other films have, I can still admire the construction of the film. I can still admire the effort that had gone into it. Do you know what I mean? It's it's yeah. still a it's still a film worth watching. I think yeah. just for how it looks and feels. Um, I think I'd agree with you. The thing I've taken from a date from David Fincher's review is, um, 
I know what a David Fincher film is now. I know what it looks like. I know what it sounds like. I know who the characters are. Um, you're right. I wouldn't need to know that it was a David Fincher film to know it's a David Fincher film. And that was what makes him so interesting as well, because I don't think there are many directors around now that you could categorically say have a style yeah. that is very them. You know, there aren't many about now. Um, and even when they are about, they seem to get snapped up by the system quite quickly. Um, well, I think and, I'm, I'm thinking about you recognise ones. There's like... Um... Taiti Rikiki. I do apologize. Yeah, no. But again, he has a very recognizable style, but it's very idiosyncratic. It's it's recognizable because it's it's like offbeat and you thought, oh, yes, of course yeah. it is. Um, whereas David Fincher, it's not like a, when I say it's standard, that's not an insult, but it's it's just a great filmmaking style that isn't sort of like quirky. It wouldn't use, say, um, the tricks for, say, an Edgar no. Wright would use them to recognize yes, it. Yes, you're right. It's it's, it's it's craft it's in its it? bones yeah it's, it's craft um, yeah. yeah it's in its bones yeah and um i i reflect on the social network's use of um army hammer as the double yeah um and the that you'd never know you, you wouldn't have known that that was a that was special effects right it's the subtlety of it or in panic room the combination very early examples of the combination between a digitally rendered house and yeah. practical effects right yeah. that's very clever he's using special effects to enhance the film not to focus the film if that makes sense yeah. um you know so yeah i th i think it, it, all, all all said even though mank maybe isn't it's not his high watermark for me he's he remains one of my favorite directors and, and, and a director i will come back to a lot i think yeah absolutely um, do you want to give some scores for Mank? Yeah, we'll take a break. We'll do some scores as as tradition befits, and then we will find out what's happening next year with this uh, this spin off. <laughs> Welcome back to the uh, the final furlong of this spin-off season. Thank you if you've joined us on this. It's been a real treat to, I think the inception was, we want to watch films that we know are really good. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is not always a guarantee. No. <laughs> it isn't always a guarantee, no. Which makes it fun. But this this has been an absolute treat, just uh, being able to get to just relish in um, a lot of these films. Just and may I say also, Hugh, I mean, it was your choice to do David Fincher. Good choice. Thank you very much. Good choice. So, um, so we'll give it a scores, and then we'll uh, and then we'll wrap up. I think uh, I'll kick off because it's a this is going to be a hard choice. But I, again, it as as you know, guesses it didn't resonate with me as much as it did, and um, I think even by its on its own feet, it doesn't score highly for me just in the way I responded to it, and certainly with what was come before, it's certainly not a high scoring film. I'm going to give it a three. Okay. Um... It's, it, 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 that, that's really interesting because I thought you were going to say one for a minute. The way, the way that you, the way that you introduced to that, I thought, oh, cool, blimey. Yeah, um, the worst David Fincher film is is a it's still all right. David yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's, and and again, that that's interesting how you come to that because I I I think that I uh, was a little bit maybe came across a little bit harsh in my in my description of the film about it being a almost pointless film and what what it what's it about and i don't i don't like films about the the myth of filmmaking and, and the myths of and the laws of films particularly um and i kind of stand by all of that but it is still a really well-made film and um you know you could put it on and just turn the sound off and just watch it and it would look great you know it has it has some interesting processes it's full of craft um but it just it doesn't connect with me i think um I'm going to give it three disembodied crombie heads as well because 
it's it's still a David Fincher film. It's it's a, a lower David Fincher film, but you know, even his worst film, which I think this might be, is still worth watching. Very okay. good. Okay, so we've we've come to conclusion again. Uh, not quite a high note to end on, but I, let's hope yeah. there's more David Fincher products to come because yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's he's got more decades in him left. Well, I do know that he is currently in post production of his next film called The Killer, Ooh. as Michael Fassbender, wow. as an a philosophical assassin set in Paris. <laughs> so there we go. That's as much as I've seen about it. I haven't seen any clips, but I've read about it. So there. Ooh la la. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully you'll do another season of um, Mindhunter as well. I hear there's, there's, there's talks about that too. Again, yeah. and slight aside, I had no idea that the uh, the lead character of Mindhunter also played um, the foppish king in Hamilton. See, I oh yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah Google um, that. It's like, what? Yeah. He's, he's I, very I see, good in both roles. He is. He also plays the role of... Um, now, who is... Oh, God. What are the names of the characters in Frozen? The girls. Oh, um, Anna and Elsa. He's not one of those. Yes. He? No. He is yeah. the love interest of Anna. Oh, Christoph. Yeah, that's it. Is he? Yeah. Is his name Goff or something? Gr it's Christoph. No, no, but what, what's the actor's <laughs> name? I don't know. Gross? I can't, I can't remember. But, um, yeah, yeah, that's him. Yeah, that's wow, him. Wow, okay. Yeah, Good for him. Go. Good for him. Um, anyway, this isn't about that. What are we going to do for what are we Weekend do? at Crombies 3? Weekend at Crombies 3, The Magnificent Seven. <laughs> but it isn't a Western theme. But it's not The Magnificent Seven. It's neither it Western themed nor actually The Magnificent Seven. <laughs> we, we might need to think of a different title for that because that's quite misleading, isn't it? <laughs> it's Although it's incredibly yeah. misleading. So we, we, were, we were interested in looking at, in, instead of looking at a film, a director um, who've made a film each decade, we thought we'd look at runs of films. So sequences of films that we thought were either really, you know, like wow, if you had if you had those films in a, in a row, you'd be you'd be well happy with that. Um, I don't know whether sh should I should I reveal the list of films in order? I think that might be quite a useful thing to do, yes. and then we can reveal the director. Well, so well, well, I jot down notes of whether seven in a row is a better name. <laughs> Lucky <laughs> for seven. Or anything yeah, other than a film we're not actually reviewing. Yeah. So so the the sequence of films goes like this: um, 1984. This is Spinal Tap, 1985, The Sure Thing, 1986, Stand By Me, 1987, The Princess Bride, 1988, When Harry Met Sally, 1990, Misery, and 1991, A Few Good Men. Now, some of those films are better than others, but they are all very interesting films and um i think any director would be pretty pleased with a run of seven films like that those films are directed by rob reiner and uh that's going to be our magnificent seven for 2022 so we're going to do seven seven i don't oh. know we, we we haven't scheduled or worked out how we're going to do seven but we're going to do seven <laughs> well six we could do once every two months but seven adds a bit of a spanner in the works doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> It's like once every three weeks and completely throw off the rhythm or something. Exactly. We could do them all at once and then just release them at Christmas. We'll do one a day for a week. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> Was it Tuesday done, today? Princess Bride. Come on, keep going, keep going. Yeah, what are we doing today? It's, it's, a, it's a shame because uh, I mean, when we get to A Few Good Men, the last film, we'll, we'll be absolutely sick of each other. <laughs> <laughs> 
But also, obviously, dear listener, don't forget that we have our uh, canonical um, podcast, Weekend at Crombies, which uh, we will be recording soon. And the film is Dirty Pretty Things. So I trust colleagues. Uh, I trust colleagues. What the hell is it? I trust listeners will be. Um, maybe they're your colleagues. We don't know. Yeah, maybe. I trust listeners will be in, uh, engaging in a bit of Dirty Pretty Things watching as well. And if that wasn't enough. We also have an end of year review that we're going to do as well. The films that we watched in 2021 and uh, how they fit into our our kind of list of films that we've watched. Yes, we are, Hugh. You, I thought you knew that. But anyway, I've revealed it now, so we can't take it back. <laughs> Excellent. And with that, um, and what may be an incredibly long uh, recording run, because we have talked a lot about Mac and many other things besides, um, we, shall, uh, we shall bid you... Uh, a very happy and a very uh, safe weekend at Crombies. Good evening, all. Weekend at Crombies. My God, that was up to two hours. I hope some of that can be lost in the edit. <laughs> I didn't think I'd, I'd talk that much about wank. Uh, wank. <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be the, made that's it got the be. whole made the whole recording. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha